0: Hi, everybody. I'm Christine. And I'm Chido, and we have a big lineup for you today. In Hot Topics, we talk about Charlottesville, and we have a listener letter. And in our topic of the day,
1: we're joined by Antoinette to talk Black Hair Part 2. And this episode, we shine our minority spotlight on designer and entrepreneur Mimixa Patel. Stay tuned. <laughs> So a lot has been going on in the U.S., um, notably talking about Charlottesville, the protest rallies that were held by neo-Nazis, white supremacists, protesting the takedown of the Robert E. Lee statue from the public park. Now, Robert E. Lee was someone during the Confederacy who was a big proponent of it so basically a racist and these neo nazis showed up to voice their opinion on the takedown of that as well as some other disgusting language now counter protesters also showed up and violence broke out and unfortunately over a course of days someone actually died from that someone from the counter protester group as if that was not you know enough news for you donald trump showed his ass Again, with the comments that he made addressing the Charlottesville violence, Uh, he said that there was blame on both sides. And he, in a way, was um, implying a moral equivalency between the neo-Nazis and counter-protesters. Chido, were you surprised at all by Donald Trump's comments? No. (laughs) No. How did you feel when you heard him say there was blame on both sides and there were some fine people in both groups?
0: Oh, I don't understand why people are continuously shocked that he says these things, given all that he's done pre election. Like, he's obviously like ridiculous and does not know what's going on. So, like. But he has a team of advisors, and I think they have tried to
1: advise him on what to say. In these situations where the country is so divided. But he just seems to go off script.
0: Well, of course. He's the president. He can do what he wants. He's on Twitter. I'm sure they've advised him this and that. But doesn't mean he's going to listen. Like, yeah. Again, like I said, I don't know why people are surprised that this is happening. Or that that's his reaction to it. I'm not. I'm like, well, yeah, to be expected. If mm. you think about it. it's It's really bad. And this is like... Also going on at the
1: same time as uh, a lot of people either being fired or resigning Mm
0: -hmm. from the White House. Um, We all knew it was going to be a circus when it happened, so... I didn't... I was cautiously optimistic.
1: I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was going to soften his tone and just be normal about it, but clearly... Things are not are not well, and a few people in his own party, Republican Party, are starting to question his fitness to actually be I think people be have been
0: questioning that from the beginning. Not so. the
1: Republicans, though. Like, 67% yeah. of Republicans actually approved of the way he handled the Charlottesville drama.
0: Which is still quite a lot. So Yeah, which is
1: scary as well. I don't know if Republicans at this point are just sticking up for him just for the sake of not being wrong. Or if they actually, like, agree with the comments he said about Charlesville. Yeah,
0: probably both. Oh. I mean, too, like, like generally, I think if they had the chance to be Trump and say what he says, I think some of them would take that up. But they're not because they're very cautious people. They might not have as much money and um, business and etc, cetera, etc, cetera, as he does. So they have to play the game. Anyway, we could go on about Trump. Did not even get into the Russian investigation. Why? Why are we still talking about him? He's just, he's just, we need to take steps forward and think about what the next step is. Because he's going to keep doing these things. Like, it's obvious. I don't know, eh? Like, I'm just waiting for the FBI. I'm just keeping
1: my fingers crossed that the FBI does find something that is impeachable. And we can all just be like, oh, that was a weird time in history at some day. Yes. So moving on.
0: Yeah. So we got a listener letter from Shifra. She says, hey, Christine and Cheeto have been devouring your podcast and I'm loving it, especially liked the are women funny and you are pretty for a dark skinned girl. You guys are amazing. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. I wanted to share this article that's related to the topic of colorism, which I agree is totally a thing. And the title of that article is how black girls aren't presumed to be innocent. And it was published in the Atlantic. Um, She also, she first also mentioned that I'm traveling around America and Europe at the moment. And while it's lovely to have niche microcosms that seem like we are making progress, it's really nasty in tea life. So many Americans adore Trump still and try to justify Trumpism. So many Australians don't get why recent immigrants and indigenous people are real Australians. So many people still ask me every single day, where are you from? Mm. Shifra.
1: Thank you so much for writing in. I think that is perfectly sums up what we're currently going through in America, with the Charlottesville stuff going on there, and also here with the immigration, and yeah, man, it's it's real. I really appreciate. Shout out to you for reading The Atlantic; it's an amazing journal. <laughs> and um, yeah, that article about Black women not being seen as innocent is really disturbing. But I definitely think it's true from personal experience. You know, people think Black women are so tough and indestructible that we are shoved around a little bit more we're not given the same consideration as uh, women of other races in my opinion what do you think about black girls being seen as more adult
0: well yeah i mean there's always uh or when how i interpreted that was more like in terms of i think they did mention in the article like sexual development etc etc like black girls historically you've seen girls being you know put in cages for white men to look at and you know just discussing atrocities like that and then that is just ingrained in society so by the time you get around to life you end up with men who end up with Men can have many different fetishes, but you end up with some creepy men who have black fetishes because of this ingrained thing that black girls must be a certain way. They must be hypersexualized. They must be, you know, crazy as well and angry. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very true. Mm. Anyway, yeah. uh, up next we've
1: got our topic of the day, talking about natural hair. It's topic time, and today we're talking about natural afro hair, and we've touched on this a little bit in past episodes, but today we want to do a deep dive. Into <laughs> into natural hair. And to help us out in the studio, we've got Antoinette in the building. What, what? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> thank you for the invite. Yeah, Happy thank you. Here. Thank you for coming on to the show. So mm-hmm. Antoinette is just like a super intelligent boss lady. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Works at a very prestigious university.
2: Mm-hmm. Who won't say where? <laughs>
1: And, uh, remotely today we have Chido because she's sick, but you know, we're committed to the craft. So that's why she is dialing in anyway.
3: Hello from 20 minutes away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So Antoinette, we caught up a little bit last week and you're telling me that you're transitioning from, Mm -hmm. I suppose, not natural hair back to your natural hair. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so tell us why do you want to do that
2: and a little bit about your hair journey. Wow, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> this could be a minute because my hair journey starts pretty much from the age of about 12. Okay. Yes, that's when I first relaxed my hair. Okay. Um, and uh, it's interesting because when I look back then, I was so excited to have my hair re- chemically relaxed, as we say. And uh, when I relaxed it initially, for me, it was just a thing of just a freedom. Because before then, I never had my hair out on its own. It was always in braids. Okay. As my natural hair was always braided. My mom just said, you know, it's easier to just have your hair in braids. So let's just have it chemically relaxed. Then it's actually free for you to do a lot more with it. And I found that I could actually do a lot more stuff with it once it was relaxed. So it was almost like a a freedom kind of thing for my hair because it was like, oh, goodness, I can finally do this. You know, I can play around Mm -hmm. with it. I can style it the way I want to style it, and uh, it just it just gave me a completely different way of actually looking at my hair okay. and for me, it felt like, oh gosh, finally, you know, I'm pretty, and that sounds a little strange, but because it wasn't it wasn't really there for me to do a lot more with it, it was just sort of there, okay, yeah, and so from that, I pretty much always had relaxed hair most of my teenage years, and I never thought about going natural until about two thousand and four in my uni days uh when i decided to go back natural because there was just a stage in my life when you're just like okay you know what i've had relaxed hair all my life i would want to to try something different and at that point for me it was just a different hairstyle
4: mm-hmm. you know i'd
2: always just had relaxed hair and i just wanted to try something different and i did the big chop you know that was yeah. like <laughs> like let me let me just go let me just go real really short so i just cut off all my relaxed hair at the time and it was it was amazing the reactions that I got from people. Positive or? Mostly mixed? negative. Really? <laughs> Mostly negative. What did people say? People were just like, uh, we're not used to seeing you like that. Um, and one of the... <laughs> the one of the worst comments I, I got was actually, oh my goodness, you look like a boy. Oh, like it that's was. not so... what you want to no, hear. No, that's not what you want to hear. So it sort of knocked my confidence a lot when I had my natural hair because I was like, wait a minute, this is just a hairstyle for me. It's not supposed to define who I am. Mm-hmm. And yet I was getting all these comments, and most of which were negative, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, how do I react to that? I, I didn't realize the impact your hairstyle had on people's perception of you until I cut my hair. And um, it really knocked my confidence. I, I won't even lie. So I wore my hair after that pretty much in braids. So it, it was almost like a full circle. Mm -hmm. You know, from the time when I relaxed my hair initially until when I actually cut it, I went back to just having it in braids once again. And it it felt like a a defeat, if you will. I was like, oh, no, I came all the way this way. I'm a grown woman. And yet here I am. I can't even wear my natural hair out. So it was a very, very surreal moment. You're breaking my heart right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But it, it, it just shows you the emotional connection that we built to that. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until that actually happened. And so I had my hair natural for about four or five years. And to be honest, I wore it in braids for convenience yeah. more than anything else. I just found that it was easier to manage the hair. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, I would take it out, but I would just find it would just take me so much longer to prepare myself in the morning. And I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And uh, I'm sad to say that I ended up relaxing my hair again <laughs> out of pressure, I suppose. External pressure or my just own, your own pressure? Yeah, a little bit of both. I must admit, Um, I also was having pressure myself in terms of, okay, you know what? Convenience. The biggest thing for me was convenience. I didn't want to take too much time in the mornings just preparing my hair. And I thought it would be easier for me. But also, once I went back, and this is another thing for me, once I went back to the re- relaxed hair, it was complete opposite reaction when I had my relaxed hair going to my natural hair. Everybody was like, Oh my goodness, you have beautiful hair. You know, it was like and so for me it was like a thing of okay, so you can only see the beauty of my hair when my hair is straightened. Mm. It was such a strange yep. feeling. I was like <laughs> Okay, this is this is interesting. But I like the compliments and it did I don't want to say it um it validated <laughs> that I was like, okay, you know what, so I can be pretty. But then I also felt really bad because I was like, you know what, I didn't really embrace my natural hair as much as I could have. Yeah. And so there was that wrestle for me for the longest time. And uh, the reason why I'm sort of going back to uh, to natural now, so I have sort of, um, what do they call it, two-tone sort of texture here currently. Okay. So my natural hair is growing out. I haven't done the big chop yet. So my natural hair is growing out and I decided just to stop the chemical relaxes. And I just want to embrace it differently from when I did previously. I think for me now it's a lot more than just wanting to look pretty. It's also become a thing about you know what? I want to embrace myself completely, mm. and that it means embracing my natural hair. And so for me, it's it's really been an emotional roller coaster, which is why I said, "How much time do you have?" Because it goes way back. It goes way back, but i'm I'm at a point now that I'm really really comfortable, and yeah. I, I, I mean I'm looking so much forward to having my natural hair. And viewing it in a different way. Mm. Not only that, because now that I live in Australia, it's very different the reactions you get from different races than when you are back home. You know, back home you get different reactions from your own race as well. So there's this sort of debate that's going on between sort of the black community, but there are also these debates that happen with be- between races as well. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know what what's coming, but uh, I I relished the challenge, and I want to embrace it completely this time round. This is sort of my mission. If yeah. We're praying for you. <laughs> yes, thank <Good>. you.
1: <laughs> and then on the flip side, Chido, you are thinking about going back to the creamy crack.
3: What do you? Oh, <laughs> I, I never really did like relax my hair like for extended periods of time. It's like the one time I did because I wanted to do kind of like a Mohawky style. But I would like if I could want to relax my hair just because like it's. And really hard taking care of it. And also, with the whole, like, um, so Antonin's been talking about the validation she gets with, like, straight versus curly hair versus long versus short. I get that a lot, too, though. It's like the, like when, when I have my hair and hair extensions, it's like, oh yeah, everyone's like, oh, so awesome, blah, 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 blah. And then I take them out, and then people are like, oh, you changed your hair, oh, I missed the longer hair extensions, or like, people are like, oh, you cut it. And then the kinds of compliments you get inter, interracially, as well as like, interracially, for example, interracially, like, talk about non-black people, it's, um, like the compliments you get for for my hair are usually like my natural hair usually along the lines of ah oh, it looks cool ah oh, it looks um oh yeah interesting <laughs> but then <laughs> but then when you have the long hair it's always like oh, beautiful gorgeous blah 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 and then like within black community it's like because I don't have like the big Afro curly big Afro hair mine is very tiny shrinks a lot. It's like, it's always just like, oh, okay, yeah, it looks nice. But, like, you know, you never get compliments. So she's like, oh, that's beautiful hair. And the people who do say my hair is beautiful are usually, like, white people who are, like, the kinds who like to be adventurous. Like, not that there's, like, okay, there's some white people who are not very adventurous. (laughs) The adventurous traits are, like, the ones who are like, oh, wow, it's so beautiful. I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's why I'm probably thinking, you know, relax it. It'll make it look straighter. I know more accepted or braiding it. Yeah, I'd like to do that. But like, I keep my hair like this from an economical standpoint. Like, I just don't have to pay anything to do it. And yeah.
1: Mm, I'm shaking my head as you're talking.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I know, know, but I'm like, do you want me to be honest or like not be honest? Because it's hard though. I can't honestly say I feel more beautiful with natural hair than I do with hair extensions.
2: That's so sad. No, it is. But I wanted to sort of concur with Chido in that regard, because the kind of compliments from the different races that you get with different hairstyles is very, very interesting. Because when I had relaxed hair and it was straighter, black people actually complimented me a lot more. Whereas I realized that with curlier hair or with braids especially, White people tend to compliment me more. So it's just interesting that that's sort of reversed. Mm. That as black people, we tend to compliment one another on straighter looking hair. Mm -hmm. Anyway, in our experience. And then white people tend to compliment us on what they don't have, which is the curlier hair. So when you were talking, I was just agreeing with you 100% because it's exactly where I am right now. I get a lot of compliments now because I wear my hair a lot in braids while I'm transitioning. And you would not believe the number of people who stopped me and just like, oh, my gosh, your hair is so beautiful. And these are always white people without doubt. Or maybe because it's just as black people, this is what we are used to. Yeah, you know, so you can't not... really recognize it. You're like, oh, it's yeah. out in the norm there somewhere. So for us, it's just an everyday look. Whereas white people really are fascinated by something different.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Well, I was reading up on um, an article on NPR and the Perception Institute conducted a, um, a study called the Good Hair hey Study. And they were looking at natural black hair and how that is perceived. And what they found, and this is for America, uh, they found that white women demonstrate the strongest bias, both explicit and implicit, against natural textured hair. And uh, so they, they rated it as less beautiful, less sexy or attractive. And less professional than smooth hair. So it's quite interesting that your experiences are not the same mm. as that. But I wanted to touch on this idea of black hair not being professional. And I just wanted to... <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, like a- from a personal standpoint. Yes, from
1: a personal standpoint. Because I-, I went through this, you know, because mm. I have my hair in locks. And um, mm. when I was looking for a job in Australia, I was going to interviews. I was getting interviews, right? Um, and I'd go with my locks. But I wouldn't get callbacks. And then, you know, I told my older sister this, and she was like, wear a wig. I was like, what? (laughs) That's your advice? For me to get a job, Mm -hmm. wear a wig. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really wrestled with that. I was just Mm -hmm. like, yo, I'm not going to do that. That's like not who I am. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my locks are very much. I remember
3: these discussions. Yeah. (laughs) My locks
1: are very much like my personality as well. Mm -hmm. But eventually I caved. I was like, okay, let me wear a wig and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And yo. You the callbacks the started rolling in. And I was just like, okay, maybe I just got better at interviewing. But mm-hmm. it's also, it makes you think. And I was watching The Real. Mm-hmm. And Tamara Maury Halsley um, also said something that was similar to what I just described. And here's what she said. She said that she went for an audition and she killed it. And then when she didn't get the callback, she asked her agent, why didn't I get a callback for that? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, they weren't sure about mm-hmm. your hair, her natural curly hair. I don't know. Like, have you experienced that professionally, whether it's here in the diaspora, in these Mm. predominantly white cultures Mm -hmm. and at home in Namibia, specifically in Zimbabwe? Have Mm. you experienced any of that as
2: far as like how professional black hair is? No, personally, I have not. I must admit, all the interviews I've had prior, I've always had relaxed hair. So I don't have that experience, that personal experience in terms of, okay, you know what, this, there was a bias clearly because of this and that. But um, I can certainly speak from my, from my sisters that I've heard who've actually said, you know, what? people always tend to tell me, you know, don't you want to try something different? Don't you want to tame your hair better? And this is one of, um, an old colleague of mine back in Pretoria actually once told me this because she used to wear her hair natural. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes she'd actually wait in, in an Afro. And um, her boss actually told her that you need to tame your hair. Wow. I I heard that and I was like, what does that even mean? And so there was this perception that you need to have it in a little <laughs> a little tie somewhere. It needs to be contained a little better so that it's not as obvious. You know, it, when, when she first told me, I was just, I was shocked because I'd never actually encountered that before. And so her experience, I can certainly say from that experience, I thought it was really quite disgusting, to be honest. I was like, but this is how you are made to be. Yeah. Why is this an issue? You know, you don't tell them like, OK, well, your hair is way too long or whatever the case may be. So I don't understand why they feel the need to tell us how to actually wear our hair in a professional setting. Yeah. So, Especially when it grows out your yes, scalp that way. <laughs> exactly. Like It's not like you have a choice in yeah. terms of how, but they're, it's almost like they are offended by what it means. Like it has a deeper meaning than what is actually just on your head. I, I'm not sure what it was and we never really explored it deeper. But in retrospect, I can actually go back to that to that sort of experience and be like, but that's not right. Mm-hmm. We should not be judging people on how they look like in terms of their hair. Yes, there is conduct and workplace attire. I can definitely understand that. But I feel that when it comes to your hair, it's just different. And as black people, we're judged differently. Yes. Yes. And definitely. I think we need to, I don't know how we can actually try to change policies in that regard it's just really not fair that we are still being looked at. And I think maybe there's almost like a a statement your head does or puts across. Mm -hmm.
3: I think it depends on like the workplace you're, you're going for because I've noticed if you're going for not mainstream white, you know, corporate whatever, but if you're going for like, I know, educational institutes, like places where they're really like trying to meet those diversity quotas they'll love your natural hair. They'll be like, yes, sure, <laughs> come, <is it. laughs> come make us stand out and be different. Yeah. And then, like, even being a hopeful actress that I am, it's like going to auditions, really, like, I, mm. I have to think about what the role is and who the audience is and what they're entailing before I choose, should I wear a wig? Should I not wear a wig? Like, it really just depends nowadays a bit more on who, who your target audience is. But you know what I hate
1: about that? Because it's similar to what Remy Ma was saying on The Real when she said that I think she said something to the effect of, you know, every black woman should own 50 wigs. And depending on what social context, Mm. you change it up. But I feel like it's really unfair for black women or women with afro hair to have to contort themselves into Mm -hmm. all different shapes and sizes to make other people feel comfortable. Comfortable. Mm -hmm. That is not fair. So that's why, like, you know, when you're talking about going back onto the creamy crack and Mm -hmm. that you don't feel beautiful with your natural hair, it makes me feel sad because I'm like... How else are these people who don't understand our hair going to understand our hair if we Mm -hmm. don't show it ourselves and love it ourselves and
2: embrace it? You know what I mean? Like we need to normalize all different textures. Yes, but I completely agree with you. And this sort of takes, if you don't mind me diverting a little bit, that debate on what does natural actually constitute? Does it mean that if I don't chemically relax my hair and that's natural, Or if I don't chemically relax my hair and I have a weave on top of that, am I still considered to be natural? Because my natural hair is untouched, but I put a wig over it. If I can't see it, you're not playing for team natural.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, I have to say, like, I feel like, I don't know, like that's just how I personally feel. And I don't, I think it's a lot of pressure to be like, everyone needs to jump on the bandwagon. Because it's like, it's really hard to just be like, You know, in the past few years where, like, Lupita and Viola Davis have been coming into light with, like, their natural hair on the Oscars red carpet. Like, it's hard to suddenly be like, of course it's beautiful. Like, it's
2: going to take a lot more time than that. Yeah, but I think we need to start modeling it now. Mm -hmm. This is the perfect time to start modeling it, though, Chiro. I think if we see more women wearing it loud and proud and not hiding it under wigs and not hiding it under weaves... Those are the type of role models that little children that are growing up, little black girls that are growing up now need to look up to. Like, you know, I can actually wear my hair in this way. Mm -hmm. If all you see in media and in movies are women wearing wigs all the time and weaves, that's all you're exposed to and what's considered beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I just feel that we need more role models. And I agree. I totally 100% agree with you people. But I'm like... But you're not
3: ready for the fight. (laughs) I'm not ready for it. I'm not there
1: yet. Exactly. Well, I think we're coming up to the end of this segment anyway. So, oosh, like so much, <laughs> we didn't even get into like the politicization of black hair, yes. which, you know, maybe we'll have a part three <laughs>
2: of this. I think
1: this discussion could go on for ages. But um, yeah, well, thank you so much, Antoinette,
2: for coming on and sharing your hair story. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, we're here with Minority Spotlight. We have Mimixa Patel. So Mimixa is a designer and social entrepreneur based in New York. She designs the New York line of t-shirts for canned clothing, a social enterprise that pays royalties to local Zimbabwean artists for the use of their work on their t-shirt designs.
1: Today we're catching up with Mimixa Patel, a friend of mine from high school who's gone on to do some pretty awesome things in design, fashion and business. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking to her about, dialing in all the way from New York.
4: <laughs> so welcome
1: to the show, Mimixa. Thank you. How's the, How's the summer?
4: Summer in New York is amazing. It's definitely something everyone should do. Oh, oh
0: so jelly. Serious. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> yeah. Someday. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess we'll get right into it. When did you first fall in love with fashion and design?
4: I think, um, you know, my mom's always sort of dressed me up when I was younger. I definitely felt a sense of style, and I was always attracted to, you know, design and colors, jewelry. So, I think. It's been with me through childhood, but I really got a sense of it when I used to do dance and I had to design my own costumes and stuff. Oh, so wow. I think it was a little bit of everything, my childhood, dance, and yeah.
1: Um, my memory of you from high school is Mimixa, the girl with the amazing henna designs. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what always comes to mind when I think of you. So I was doing a little bit of snooping of your profile, and I saw that you graduated from the Parsons School of Design. So, you know, notable alumni like Mark Jacobs, Donna Karen, totally amazing. So can you tell us, like, how did you feel when you got accepted into Parsons?
4: So it was really interesting because I um, actually didn't know Parsons was Parsons. And (laughs) they came... I was at Harare International School at that time in Zimbabwe and um, they came to my school and, you know, I was looking at design schools because I, at that point I was, I was sure that I wanted to be in a design school, but I wasn't quite sure what degree I was going to do. So they came along and I applied to a few schools and then the decision was whether I wanted to be in the West Coast or on the East Coast. And I remember one of the counselors said to me like, you know, you want to be in New York because there's a lot of exposure there. So, I literally just decided to go to New York, had no clue what Parsons really was. <laughs> and then, you know, like in Zimmer I felt like I was so sheltered, but when I came to New York, it was just a huge cultural shock. Yeah, and then I discovered what Parsons was. I discovered that it was, you know, well-known for its fashion department. And I guess life kind of just took me in that direction from there. So <laughs> Wow.
1: Yeah. Sometimes that's better, like yeah. when it's like a surprise and you're like,
4: oh, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, now when I look back at my acceptance letter, it's you know, I feel a lot. I just feel like this joy and this sort of like, okay, the universe was pushing me in some direction. So mm-hmm. I guess that's a good part of the story. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, you've also partnered up with a social enterprise called Canned Clothing. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement with uh, the business?
4: I met the founder of Canned Clothing, Bertie Bondi, in Zimbabwe about two years ago. You know, I had actually gone back because I wanted to, I was just missing home and I wanted to be back in Zimbabwe for a bit. So I thought, let me go back, and I was at my uncle's factory, and um, he was there getting his t-shirts printed, you know, for can clothing actually. And we just met, and at that time he was only selling in Zimbabwe, but you know, I said to him, I was like, look, I'm in New York, and I think I've always wanted to bring something Zimbabwean to a more global market, and an eclectic market, and I couldn't think of anything better than New York, you know, because that's like. New York, it's almost like the capital city of the world. Yeah, so we met and it was just like so great. Our energies together were just, you know, it was just amazing because he had like the more of the business side and I was more marketing and, yeah, so that's how it kind of came into my life as well. And I just loved it because of Zimbabwe. And I felt, you know, because when I was in Zimbabwe, after I graduated, I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to find that exposure, you know, for my work and talent. So this was, you know, I I just felt like this was the time I could do that for the Zimbabwean artists. Yeah, that's how I came about.
0: <laughs> so I'm guessing you've done a bit of work with some Zimbabwean artists. And so how do you go find other artists that you'd want to work with, let's say now or in the future?
4: So Bertie, actually, he had these artists that he had found and curated their artwork. He's very heavy into music and jazz, and he actually plays jazz on Sundays. So he found he had these artists in mind, and what we do now is we look at the artist's work and see how it could fit into our current collection. So I think now that's basically the thing is, you know, Zimbabwean artists, preferably local, but we also know there's a lot of Zimbabwean artists around the world, So we want to latch on to the international Zimbabwean artists, too. And I'm also going to add that our goal is also to work with African artists in Africa. For example, it's from Botswana or, you know, Kenya. But the product, essentially, everything should be made in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's our, that's kind of our, you know, mission and what we are.
1: So can you tell us you know, what's been the most challenging thing so far about, you know, working in fashion, design? Or is there anything that you wish um, you had known that someone should have told you before entering into the industry?
4: I think the most important thing is to know how, the business part of it. Because, you know, the design part and part of that is also the, uh, what I studied in school with design and management, Which is more of a business degree, but with fashion, it's say it's kind of the same thing as you have to know how you're going to sell, you know, your work. Because it's one thing to be a good designer, but to be a good designer with a sense of business is very important in today's world, I think, and especially in the design world, because you have you have the idea, but then how do you, or even you have the beautiful work that you're creating, but the next step is like now, how do you? sell it and, um, you know, make it into a business that could be in this case that could benefit other people, but, um, also benefit the business.
1: Yeah. So yeah. true. Amen to that. <laughs> it <Christine's laughs> like,
4: yes,
0: personal experience.
4: If I can add, um, and which I should actually mention, which is very important is marketing. A lot of times people are shy, you know, to talk about their brand or their work. And I think it's so important to use, like, social media as a platform, especially networking is another thing. I've I've noticed a lot of, some of the designers are so shy to, like, network, you know, and I think that's also very important.
0: I guess it's that taking that step to come out of your
4: comfort zone and say, hey world, I'm here. Yeah, I used to be shy, so I think you know this from school as well, but, um, it's a big tip, but I, you have to take it, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: especially when the rent is calling. Yeah. <laughs> you need to figure it yeah. out.
4: <laughs> in New York as well, oh gosh, yeah. Ooh, I
1: can only imagine. Just on that, but what's been the best thing so far about, you know, working in the industry?
4: Um, Definitely meeting a lot of people from different parts of the world, different kinds of people and, you know, different ideas. And also, the best thing is you can always collaborate, you know? From one designer to another, from one brand to another, these days a lot of people collaborate and I think that's the best part of it. For me, that's what I enjoy, is like just collaborating with a lot of unique things, you know, and recently we had, there was another girl who's also from Africa who I met who does tea. It was just amazing because we were just like, we both have this product from Africa, you know, and we should do something about it, you know, and promote both of our countries and so I think that's the best part is just collaborating with people and doing something together. Putting more of our work out there, you know, for mm-hmm. the world to see. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> how
0: how can we see your work? As like, do you ship internationally? And
4: where can people around
0: the world purchase your designs?
4: So we have a website, which is www.craftedinzimbabwe.com. And so you can basically shop online. We do ship internationally. We've actually amazingly had a lot of orders from Australia, Europe, Ooh, represent. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just so nice to see that people are willing to, you know, support the Bali all the way from Australia.
1: Well, great. So I think that's it. That's all the time we have. But thank you so much. I know you're super busy. Yeah, thank you. This girl is booked. So hard to get <laughs> a time slot with you. So really appreciate it, Mavixa.
4: Thank you for having me and supporting, you know, our product.
0: Well, that's it for today's show. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, and YouTube.
1: Continue to send in your messages to sassy in Oz, SOS at gmail.com. Also, make sure to hit the subscribe button in iTunes and please leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening and until next time, bye! bye.